Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're in a series called Blessed Life. And in the series, we're learning uh, what it means to be a blessed person having a blessed life. Wow, you're the man, Carlos. Thank you very much. It weighs more than it looks, doesn't it? It does weigh a lot. And I'm doing it with one hand. Okay, I need the surgery now. Just kidding. Although that would be a workman's comp thing now to think about it. Okay. A little low. That's not in the budget. That's right. Oh, my word. It's just a delight to have you here in worship today. And, uh, you know, when all the details go, you never notice them. The, the public just magically appears. And it magically disappears later. You never know how or why or when. Just does. So uh, it's all the servants. So I'm grateful. Well, we're opening our Bibles to Matthew 5, and uh, this is the first message Jesus will preach. It's a Sermon on the Mount. It's the first one we have recorded. And that's significant because the first time anybody does anything, your first impressions are lasting, aren't they? When you think about it, whenever you meet someone, your first impressions just tend to stick. So when Jesus presents the first sermon, he makes it abundantly clear he is all about blessing. Uh, Isn't that cool? And there's no doubt about it, um, because when you look at Matthew 5, verse, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Bless five, uh, verse 5, blessed, 6, blessed, 7, blessed, 8, blessed, 9, blessed, 10, blessed, 8. I'm picking up a theme here, are you not? Jesus wants us to live the blessed life, and he is the blessing coming from the Father, and he's going to bless our lives, and what we have to do is just get underneath his care and follow what he says, and then we will be blessed people. And the word blessed simply means to be joyfully kind of happy. It's more than happy. It's, it's like, if you know math terms, it's like happiness squared or happiness cubed. It's happiness overflowing. And that's what he wants for our lives. Now, here's what I've found about people. Most people want to be happy. Isn't that true? They want to be happy. Here's the problem. Some people, not anybody in this room, but some people, not in this room, but some people want to be happy, but then when you get them to that happy point, they change. And they're no longer happy because now they want that. Right? Have you ever had this? And then you get them happy over there, and then now they want that. And then you get them happy there, and now they want that. They can't be happy. And even if you get them a happy meal, they're still not happy. What do they need? A nap is what they need. Some people just can't be happy in life. You have to write that down. That may be the deepest thing you think all week. Some people just can't be happy because you try and try and try and try and they're just committed to keep moving the target on you because they're addicted to unhappiness and that's a shame. But some people feel more comfortable complaining about things. In fact, we say this thing around the office sometimes. I'll complain about something and I'll complain about it again and then they'll say, you want me to fix it? And I say, no, I'd rather just complain about it. <laughs> you ever had that before? He's like, I'd rather just complain. In general, most people in life would like to be happy But that happiness is elusive. And so what Jesus does by giving us the eight-angle shot at this, he's pretty much covering it all up, saying, there is a happiness that you can have, but you're not going to get it just from one perspective. It needs to be through and through, up and down, all around, a kind of a happiness you can't get away from, a joyful kind of happiness. And so he says, chapter 5, verse 5, would you read it out loud with me? Read it with gusto. Would you read together? Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. Now, you were not born that way, to be blessed, number one, or to be meek, to be strength under control. By the way, the word meek is another word for gentle, okay? The New Testament word here, ancient language, is the word praus, and it, it comes four times in the New Testament. And the other three times, the interpreters translate it gentle, this one time meek. The idea of, of meek or gentleness is not something that is just a personality issue. You can say he's quiet, he's meek, he's shy, he's, re, he's reclining, he's a little distant. That's not what this is about. When, when Jesus says God blesses the gentle or the meek, he's saying God blesses the people who keep their strength under control. That's real gentleness, real meekness. That's the definition, actually, of meekness, strength under control. He's saying God blesses those people, and the earth is theirs. Yeah, don't let that get past you. When you are meek, when you are gentle in the way you handle people, guess what's going to happen? The earth will be yours. It's your oyster. It's your pearl. It's your pick. It's yours. You get it because you can beat all the odds when you use gentleness along the way. This hard-driving, ego-driven, market-centered world, you don't hear a lot about gentleness. You, you know the routine. People who are overbearing, cutting off your sentences, over-speaking you, selfish. You ever had a phone call at dinner and you can't cut in to go, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, why would I aluminum side my house? It's brick, it's brick. Well, I, I, I can't get a word in because they just talk right over you. Have you been doing those? How many of you actually make those calls during dinner? No, I'm just kidding. Don't answer the phone. And, but they just over-talk you. You've been around people like that. And that is the move of the day, is to fill the air with just words. And, and in fact, it's so filled with words, it's they just don't stop about themselves. And eventually, you wear out to that. I grow deaf to it after a while, but finally just go, okay, whatever you want, just take it. And they, they're so overbearing, they just take what they want. That's a great short-term strategy, but in the long haul, it's defeating. Let me come at that again. That's a great short-term strategy, but in the long haul, in life, it will be self-defeating. Those who are gentle will have the world at your fingers. Gentleness is strength under control. It is, it's a person who doesn't overreact. It's a person who doesn't allow moods or problems to overwhelm them, to control them. So just by way of, just by way of introduction, let me give to you another, uh, another place this exact word is used. It's Galatians chapter 5. When Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, that the fruit of the Spirit or the outgrowth of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And one of those traits of a Spirit-filled person is gentleness. Against such, there is no law. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But gentleness is going to be one of the evidences that Jesus is in your life. Since, if you keep reading the passage, those who belong to Christ have been crucified and the flesh, they've crucified their flesh and their passions, all their desires, all their agendas. Since that has happened... He says, now you stay in step with what the Spirit wants to do. And one of the things that the Spirit wants to do is take that strength that you have and put it under control. Now you have harnessed strength. And in fact, that is the biblical kind of word picture. Um, if you were to go back, centuries back, when they talk about meekness, they would talk about a wild stallion versus a trained stallion. You've seen a wild stallion just run, romp kick down fences, run through the beach, whatever. It's pretty, as long as you're out of the way. But a trained stallion actually will obey and actually can be productive. 
in life. And all he's saying is this, this untrained one, that's strength. This is strength under control. No less strong, it's just strength under control. So gentleness is only possible, number one, by means of the Holy Spirit in me. That, it, it doesn't happen any other way. This is the fruit of the Spirit working inside me. And the Spirit doesn't come inside unless I trust Christ. So the gentleness is the mark of those of us who claim to know Christ. We belong to Jesus. See in Galatians 5? So this gentleness is a mark of Jesus, but it's also the mark of Jesus' followers. So when you describe a Christian, gentleness ought to be one of the terms. And then... Uh, to close out just this passage, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let's stay in step. Let's, let's walk in step. So gentleness calls me into, into, that I stay in step with what the Spirit's doing in my life. What God's Word calls me to do, I have to listen and I have to be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in my life. And a lack of gentleness, quite frankly, might mean I'm impatient or that we are selfish or that there's some pride emerging or that we're strong-arming, when we don't need to be doing that. We can trust a great God and be gentle. We can trust a great God who we think is out for our good, we know is out for our good. It's not dramatic. This gentleness thing is not dramatic. It comes out looking pretty mild most of the time. But it's not mild like weak. It's mild like under control. Now, some people would view meekness as uh, weakness. You've heard that. Meekness is weakness. He's mild-mannered, thinking that there's nothing to that person. That's why I really prefer the term gentle, because the aspect is this. That person does have some strength to them, but they don't use it unless they absolutely need to. If you could see the real benefits of being gentle, you would buy into it in a moment. I'm convinced of this. So what I've done this morning is this. I'm going to give to you seven real benefits of being a gentle person. And by the way, this will only happen if you walk with Jesus in faith and if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. If you quench what the Spirit's doing in your life, um, impatience, hostility is going to take over, okay? So don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I can do this on my own. No, apart from the Lord, we can't do anything good. So how gentleness shows its strength, number one, is gentleness diffuses conflict. It diffuses conflict. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs it up. Have you ever been in a conversation and it's fairly tense, not hostile, but oh, heated? And then finally you find reconciliation, you find some remedy, and you're finally, it's, it's starting to sweeten up and you're finally coming some conclusion. And then somebody walks in the room and flames it up again? You ever been there before? Oh, yeah. yeah. A gentle answer turns away wrath. It's those harsh words that will stir up anger. And we, here's the deal. We tend to mimic the emotions of the environment. Uh, if you don't believe me, just go to a football game, a basketball, hockey, any, any sporting event. We tend to mimic the emotions that are around. And, and they're called mirror neurons. That's, what's, that's what it's called. And what that is is we reflect the emotion that's shot at us. We shoot it back. So we sympathize with those people who are hurting. We respond to what's happening. But negatively, if a person raises their voice, we tend to raise our voice back. Right? Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. Now, positively, it, what happens is it's when a person's happy and you walk in a room and they go, oh, isn't this a beautiful day? You tend to perk up and try to respond that way as well. So here's what I want you to do. When someone escalates at you, what I want you to do this week is work at, at staying level as much as you can. Don't let them control. Don't mirror back to them that emotion. 
Don't let them control your game. If your boss is angry with you, don't quit. Ecclesiastes 10. A quiet, gentle spirit will overcome even the greatest mistakes. Don't get angry. Don't walk away. Don't quit. Just, just hang in there. You, you, here's what I know. You, you, you don't win your enemies to Jesus. You only win your friends to Jesus. Now, that may get past us. You don't win your enemies to Jesus. You only win your friends to Jesus. No one ever comes to me and says, I hate Frank, but he helped me come to Jesus. That doesn't happen. If you hate Frank, you stay away from Frank, or you beat up Frank, or you, you touch Frank's dart, his Dodge dart. That's what you do. You seen those ads? Can't touch my dart. What, a, what an ad. It tells me nothing about the car, but, but I'm not touching that dart because I don't want to get beat up. Yeah. You don't win people to Jesus who hate you or who you, whom you hate. You have to build a bridge to them, that's gentleness, and then let Jesus cross over that bridge. When they see your life, that's attractive, and they want what you have. 1 Peter chapter 3. But in our hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But you do this. You're going to give the reason for the hope you have, but you're going to do it with gentleness and respect. When you and I are gentle, we knock out the excuses of people who say, I'm not going to come to the gospel because of the jerks. You see, and that, that's why it's so very important, even your body language. It takes away the nasty Christian objection because now you take away those objections, now it's just them and the gospel. And that's what you want, is you want nothing to get in the way of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what happens is gentleness tends to diffuse that kind of conflict. Number two, gentleness disarms your critics. It disarms your critics. The more you do in life that really matters, the more you'll be shot at, you'll become a target. And the more you lead, the more the, tar the target gets bigger. So if you don't do anything, people tend to leave you alone. But if you do something, take a stand or lead at all, you're going to get shot at. And, and here's the reality in life. Some people I talk about who don't want to be happy, there are some people in life who are addicted to being angry. And they will want to play a game with you. And you want to live a blessed life, but they'll take pot shots at you to get you into the battle, to get you into the snare. And, and when they do that, you can't fall for it because all they're doing is trolling. They're just looking for a way to snag you. Some people just need to have a... They, they feel better once they've had a good fight. And I don't know what that's called, but it sure isn't Jesus' model, okay? They, they want to pull you in, and so you, you cannot go there. We work hard with our own hands, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. When we're cursed, we bless. Get this. When you are cursed, you bless the person. When we, are, when we are persecuted, we hang on, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Boy, that, that's a verse worth memorizing. Okay, next time I'm slandered, going to answer kindly. Ah! Hey, have a nice day. God bless you too. Jesus loves you. That'll work on 495 this week, I'm sure. When you respond in same kind, here's what happens. When a person lowers the game and you respond in same kind, you've lowered yourself to their game. Don't lower yourself to their game. Stay at your game, which is a Jesus follower. Here, if, you're, if you're only taking one line of notes, here it is. Ask God to give you a, a tough skin and a tender heart. Okay? 
If you don't write anything else down, tough skin, God, please. Tough skin, tender heart. I want to be tender to the things you care about, but I don't need to be easily offended. Gentleness disarms the critics. Thirdly, gentleness changes the climate of communication. This is huge. If you're involved in people business, this is huge. It changes the climate. In everything you set an example, by doing what is good, you do the right thing, you do the good thing. In your teaching, you show integrity. You don't, you don't show just the numbers that show your favor. You don't shave it a certain way. You show integrity and seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that even when people oppose you, they'll be ashamed because they, they know what they're saying isn't true. So don't go to that heated argument don't get baited into the argument. Rise above it. Keep moving with what you know God has for your life. Don't get baited into it. Instead, rise above and set the example. You will change the climate of communication. Here's another verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes this young pastor, by the way. It's a young guy who's timid. He's timid. And what does he say about him? He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Don't go there. Don't fight. He must be kind to everyone and able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, he must gently instruct. Get this? Even when, even when you're, you're working with someone and they're driving you crazy, I can't quarrel with them. I'm not going to go there. I'm going I'm to have a teachable spirit myself, but I can't be resentful. And even when it's an opponent, someone who just stands in opposition to the very values you hold, you gently instruct them. I've had people gently instruct me, and I'm sure you have too, and I've had people instruct me in a coarse kind of way, in a rough kind of way. Well, any kind of idiot could have figured that out. Well, I'm just not any kind of idiot, I guess. I'm a different kind of idiot because I didn't figure it out. See, that does not help the situation, does it? So when gentleness prevails, what happens is it changes the very climate of the communication. But number four, it will speak with clarity. It will give a resounding, clear uh, voice that is desperate in community because through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. Okay, through patience, a ruler, and that's a proverb. So the word ruler, you could put down president or you could put down company CEO or your boss or if you're a teenager, your dad, your mom, okay? Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A bone. You know, the words could break someone if you just choose them carefully. Gentleness will speak with clarity. It will, it will resound in a way that nothing else will. If you use a kind, meek strength under control. But if you're out of control, that's when you lose it. That's why when you're in the grocery store and some mother is just screaming bloody murder at her kid, ah! you know, okay, if this is what's happening in public, just think what's happening in private. This is out of control. That's usually when I say, you have real problems and you need to come to my office. My name is Mike Clark and I'll be in tomorrow at nine o'clock. <laughs> just kidding there, Mike, just seeing if you're listening. You understand how, you understand when you lose it, then you give people around you permission to lose it. 
When you start to degrade, you've given them permission to degrade. You understand how vile that can get? And then you go to a place that you didn't mean to go, then you can't get out. Then you get muck on you, you can't get off. See how worse this is? It just doesn't get better. So gentleness changes not only the communication, but it, it speaks with a kind of clarity that, that screaming, nagging, hounding doesn't do. Because it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Did you ever, say with me, what did Charlie Brown's teacher say? Wah, 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 wah. You've got it. How did you memorize those lines? That was wonderful. And that's what your kids think when you scream at them, when you hound them, when you nag them. And you know what? That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's just you going, I'm just done with this. And that's your impatience. See? So the work is, God, work on me that my words are crafted in such a way that there is clarity to my words, but that they measure my words. And they, I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. The wise hearts call discerning and gracious words promote instruction. The more pleasant your words, the more persuasive you will be. Uh, th that's why rude, crude language doesn't persuade. It, all it does is it strikes for the moment, inflames for the moment, and then it goes away. But it, it isn't sustainable because you can't live on rude, crude words. I like, uh, I like to laugh. How many of you knew that? How many of you like to laugh? I like to laugh. It sure beats crying, doesn't it? I'll laugh every time if I get the chance. I'm going to laugh today or cry today. Oh, yeah. I don't think I want to cry today. I'll laugh. But you have to understand, comedy today, by and large, when they don't get the laughs they want, do you know what they do? They turn to the rude and crude. And that always generates a, a strike up, it flames up the audience, brings them back in with an expletive. Here's the problem with that. You have nowhere to go with it. Plus, You've just put something vile in, in the minds of more people. It's a bad way to go. That's why you always, you always want to stay on the gentle side in your communication. And that will become not only the culture of the climate of your communication, but it will become the clarity of it as well. It's just a law of life that I will attract the very kind of, of life that I live and gentleness will attract a certain amount of gentleness. Number five. Gentleness becomes the model for life. Let me talk to the guys just for a moment. Paul writes to Timothy again and says, but you, O man of God, you flee from these things, the, the very things that would derail him from a really good ministry. And he says, you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And he's telling this to a timid pastor. You pursue that. You be known for that. When people describe you, that's, that's one of the words they're going to use. And Paul says that to a young, timid pastor. Just Well, then, if he includes gentleness with him, then it's certainly good for all of us. I think of, uh, I think of two illustrations of the Old Testament. The one guy in the Bible who was called uh, gentle or meek, besides Jesus. Jesus was, and then one of the guys named Moses. And Moses spent most of his life dealing with people who didn't want to follow, right? Correcting them for what they did wrong and redirecting them. And there were times they wanted to kill him. And yet he's described as a guy who's meek. Now, I say that, guys, to say there's hope for you. Because early in his life, he was an impatient kind of guy who was heavy-handed and short-tempered. And he got in a fight once. He saw a guy in a fight. He went in and intervened in the fight. Had probably no business jumping in the fight. 
And it ends in aggravated, not just assault, but, but murder. He kills the guy. He has to go on the run. It's a guy with, with impulsivity and anger issues, to which I say, guys, if it can happen to Moses, the guy who gives us the Ten Commandments from God, then your, your struggle is real too. But you need to be known for being gentle. And as Moses grew in his walk with God, he became known as a guy who was meek, and so can you. It can happen with you. There's another illustration of this. This guy's name is Boaz. I love that name, Boaz. Boaz owned a lot of farmland, found out about this girl whose husband had died. He wines and dines her, treats her nice, but he treats her gently. Her name is Ruth. And he says to her, I, I love the line. If you want to read it, it's four chapters. You can read this this afternoon. In the night, they're at a threshing floor. It's where they separate the, the grains out. And in the night, he says, marry me, baby. And, and he throws his cloak over her like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. But do you know what he does in the morning? He, he says, before you go, hold out your apron. She holds out her apron. He pours on the grain into her apron. She's holding it. Now, can you imagine? She runs back to the house where her mother-in-law is. And, and she's got a pile of essentially income here. And says, this guy, he treats me nicely. He feeds me well. He treats me like a human. I'm a woman and I'm a foreigner. I have every reason for him not to even talk to me. He treats me so kindly. I'm going to marry him. And I'll tell you this. If Boaz had been ruthless, he would have been ruthless. (laughs) Think about that. I'm here two shows every night. That's bad, isn't it? Is that bad? That was bad. But some of you are writing it down right now. You're saying, okay, that's for the guys. It, 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 becomes, it becomes for us a model. And, if you, and guys, if we have a model like Boaz or Moaz, Moses, then you can kind of follow that model. Ladies, let me turn my attention to you just for a moment from 1 Peter chapter 3. Your beauty... Speaking now, Peter writes to the women, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. There's nothing wrong with those things. If you have nice hair and braids and gold and nice clothes, hey, great, wonderful. But that's not the way people should be describing you, but rather it should be of your inner self, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So when people describe you, they don't say, oh, she's the one with the magnificent purple dress. No, they say, she's the one with the glowing personality, this gentle kind of spirit. Have you ever seen people dressed up, but they're still ugly? You know what I'm talking about? And that's exactly what Peter's saying. He's saying, make sure your beauty is on the inside. It will come out. And when it does, it will be the model for life. And it will be unfading. This beauty will not go away you won't have to Botox it. It will just stay there for life. Number six, gentleness represents the eternal perspective. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. There it is again, patience. Gentleness gives to us, a, it represents for us kind of a, an eternal perspective. In other words, that we know God is in control. We don't have to wrestle with this. We don't have to struggle with this. Why? Because we know ultimately God wins. Jesus comes back. The Holy Spirit takes over. The Bible's true. Every word will be fulfilled. 
We know that. So we don't have to wrestle with this. We don't have to strive. Because we're God's chosen people, we don't have to act like jerks who are out of control. Because we're holy and dearly loved, we don't have anything to prove. Do you see how beautiful this is? We can show some compassion, some kindness, humility, and certainly some gentleness. Remind people to be subject to rulers, Titus 3. Authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good and to slander no one. This, this verse needs to be on every poster, every political poster in the county. Okay? I didn't get any amens on that, but I'm going to come back to it again. I don't care. You're to slander no one. You're to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward the people I like. Is that what it says? No. Uh, the people who agree with me. No. I'm to be gentle with everyone. Everyone. And you know what the measure of your grace is? Your ability to be gentle with the people who you're way different from, who see life totally differently than you do. Your ability to get along with people who don't necessarily want to even get along with you. You choose not to argue. You rise above it. You create a different kind of culture. You are not impatient because you know God's in control, so you have the eternal perspective. Gentleness represents that eternal perspective. One more. Gentleness conveys higher values. So we're to be completely humble and gentle, Ephesians 4. We're to be patient and bear with each other. We're to be completely humble and patient. In your, in your gentleness, you're telling the other person you matter. You get this? This is huge. You're treating, if, you, if a person treats you like trash, if you just turn around and treat them like trash, well, you treat me like trash, I'll treat him like trash. Well, you're, all you're doing is going to the level of his game. You stay above that, and you know what you're going to do? You're not only going to rise above, and then you have less guilt issue to deal with. Have you ever been short with someone, then you're short back? Or they've been short with you, and then you're short back, then you feel bad all day? And they've blown it off, because it doesn't bother them. They're short with people all day. But it bothered you, because you got the muck on your shoes. You walk around with it all day, trying to get it off of your conscience, and can't. And, and what the Apostle Paul is saying in Ephesians is, you be humble no matter what. Even in the pride driven world you be gentle even in the struggle you be you be but why because because it conveys a higher value that that god values those people even though we're different than they are whoever they happen to be i'm reminded of a story of booker t washington booker t washington was born in the mid 1800s in the south black american he would have been a kid during Civil War days. That gives you some perspective of time. He would have seen uh, the Union stay together and freedom for slaves. And eventually he'd become a civil rights worker and he, he's a smart guy, guy of character, uh, above reproach in a lot of ways. And he, he, would find, he would found an institute in the South called the Tuskegee Institute which would be a school for black Americans to go to because there wasn't anything at the time. So he would, he would actually develop higher education, which would be a wonderful thing. So he's a busy guy. He has a speaking engagement thing going, and he's got leadership stuff. He writes, plus he runs this institute. One day he's walking down the street in, in the community, and, and a woman who doesn't really know him just yells at him, Hey, you, come over here. Cut my wood, chop my wood, split it, stack it. 
So he did. He went over and took his coat off, got the axe, the maul, split the wood, stacked it neatly. As he was finishing up, one of her friends walked by and said, you know that's Booker T. Washington, the president of Tuskegee Institute. She said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. She walked over and said, I am sorry, I didn't know who you were. And he said, don't worry about it, ma'am. I always have time to help my friends. When I heard that story, I thought, you know what? I don't know if Dave could have done that. I had a splitter word and burned it. (laughs) Soaked it in water? I don't know. What what would you have done? You're laughing because you had other plans for that wood, didn't you? But isn't that that crazy? Just that little bit of it comes out. You just go, oh, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And apart from the Lord, it's not, it's not going to get better. Uh, one, more, one more quote from uh, Booker T. There are two ways of exerting one's strength. Here's a quote. There are two ways of exerting one's strength. By pushing down, and the other is by pulling up. End of quote. Well, so he certainly made the right choice, did he not? And by God's grace... We will do the same by humility and gentleness of Christ, Paul writes, I appeal to you. That'll be the way we appeal to each other, in humility and gentleness. And even in the conflict, we will ask that we have strength, but it stay in control, that it stay in check. So what would that look like? Well, I'm going to give you three things it would look like, but I'm going to tell you this before I even tell you the three It is absolutely impossible apart from Christ in your life because the day you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus, he not only forgives your sin and prepares a home for you in heaven, but then he places the Holy Spirit inside you. You may not have even known that happened, but it did. And the Holy Spirit convicts you when you're wrong, rejoices with you when you're right, guides you, acts as a kind of a prompter in your life, and he's a comfort and counselor, the Bible says, John 14. That none of this is possible. This meekness, gentleness thing is not, is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's just that simple. But when the Holy Spirit does work in your life, here's what's going to happen. First thing that's going to happen is when someone serves me, be understanding, not demanding. I'll be way more understanding, by far less demanding. Way more understanding, less demanding. This is particularly important with people who work for you or even work for you for the hour or for the day. And this particularly shows up, for instance, when we leave here, you may go to a restaurant. And it's the wait staff. It's the people you hardly make eye contact with. You can't look up out of the menu. And all you can do is tell them what's wrong. Silver's not clean. This is not right. This is just generally negative. Um, you know, Wanda and I have five kids, right? Five great kids. And it's not like we have seven and five are great kids. We only have five kids, and they're all great. Okay, so let's clear that up. But early in life, I want them to have jobs where they'd have to serve people. It's, kind of, it's good for them. It'll make them run, run to college, number one, because I don't want to do this the rest of my life. But, but it's a good thing to serve the public. And some of them have had those kind of jobs. It's a counter serving 
people, and they never come home with stories about the actual product that they're selling. They come home with stories about the people. That's the way it is. And I've had kids work at a counter, food counter, for instance, and, and they'll come home with stories about how it got, it got backed up, and some people are kind, other people are nasty, and that sort of thing. I have one daughter who, um, and these are her words, is her story, but I've heard this story from like half of the employees at the steakhouse. And it goes like this. The most gosh awful people to work for is the Sunday noon crowd. They're picky, nasty, and they don't tip well. <laughs> now, Wanda has this rule. She gives me the eye. If I do something stupid when we're out to dinner, she'll look at me. Okay, just went from 15% to 20. And if you do something else, stupid. And she doesn't ever say those words. Those are mine. Those are her. She just looks at me and raises an eyebrow. I know it goes from 20 to 25%. And if I keep clowning around, you know, and like I'm in a fine dining place, and I just go, do you have a Big Mac? I just really want that, that secret sauce. It's going to be 30% here pretty soon if you keep doing this, Dave. You understand, I don't want a bad mark. Uh, and, and here's what happens, too. I'm in public, and then someone will look and go, oh, I know you, you're from SBC. You're from South Potomac. Okay, I immediately have to tip well. Why? I don't want a bad mark here. You understand how important this is? Because I don't want a bad mark on Jesus. So to all you wait staff, let me tell you, you can treat me bad all you want. You're still going to get 15%. It's okay. I'm just kidding you. Yeah. Work for your hours, but then understand this. That wait staff knows Sunday noon, that crowd, do we look different, smell different, act different? Are we more pharisaical? I don't know. I just know this. We owe it to give Jesus a good reputation. And one of the ways we do that is by looking the waitress in the eye, thanking them, thanking them for free water. Just thank, it doesn't cost me that much to say, thank you, this is really nice. And then tipping well. It's that way with employees. It's that way with anybody in the service industry that works for you, even on a short-term basis. Treat them well. They will always treat you well. Um, it was Charles Swindoll who said it this way. During the Korean War, there were some guys who hired a fella in their, in their unit. He was a, a Korean kid who cooked and cleaned for them. They did nasty stuff to him all the time. They would... Uh, they would put grease on the knobs, on the cook knobs. Uh, they would nail his shoes to the floor because it was a tent with a wooden floor. They'd nail the shoes down. He just did awful things to this guy. And, uh, but he was their cook, and he did their laundry, and they paid him peanuts. Well, then they were feeling bad about it, so they said, from now on, we're not going to do that. So they bring him in, and they say, we're not going to treat you badly anymore. He said, okay, you mean... No more grease on knobs. And he said, that's right, no more grease on knobs. You mean no more nails in shoes. That's right, no more nails in shoes. He said, okay, no more spit in soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just know this. They can get you back. They can get you back. But what's even more important is that you leave a mark about who Jesus is. So when given the opportunity to have people serve you, be way more understanding than you think is necessary and way less demanding. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Number two, 
when someone disagrees with me, be tender without surrender. Be tender, be sensitive-hearted, be kind and gentle, but you don't have to give up your turf. You don't have to give up on your convictions. You may have to give up on your preferences. So you have to accept the one whose faith is weak. Be tender without surrender. Number three, when someone disappoints me, be gentle, not judgmental. Oh, Lord, help us. Because honestly, when someone disappoints us, lets us down, it's easy because now we're in the power zone. We're at the top. We've got the cards. We know we can do this, and it's easy to muscle our way through. And that's exactly when the Holy Spirit prompts us to say, okay, make sure that you're gentle with this. Make sure that you're kind with this. Make sure that you're equitable and fair with this. Why? Because you don't want it done to you in a disappointing kind of a way. So don't disappoint yourself. Don't do something you regret. Be gentle, not judgmental. Carry each other's burdens, and so when you do, you fulfill the law of Christ. And the real ultimate benefit is this. You are a blessed person when you are meek. And that's just good for you. When your strength is under control, you're a blessed person. That, that in and of itself is enough. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, blessed are those who are meek, who's, who have this gentle spirit about them, this strength under control, because the earth will be yours. The earth will be yours. The, you will set the agenda when you embrace Christ, walk in the means of the Holy Spirit, and you're you're gentle in your spirit, you will have the world at your hands. And that's our prayer. Not that the world would be at our hands, but that we would be so kind, so gentle-hearted, that when people see us and sense our power, they sense Jesus, and they want him too. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Your prayer may be, Jesus, I need you. God, our Father in heaven, I need salvation. I need to embrace Christ in faith. I'm an outsider and I need Christ in my life to forgive me of my sin, to prepare a home for me in heaven. I need supernatural help because I can't make it. And if that's your prayer, then wonderful. I encourage you to make the prayer, make the step. For many of us in the room, the prayer is simply, God, I need the Spirit's power to hold my own strength in check because my own strength left on its own is pretty wicked, can be pretty nasty, pretty heavy-handed. So when I'm tempted to power up, God, and force my way, remind me of your better way, your gentle way. And help me to know I don't have to take over because you are. And the depth of your love is so incredibly good. Why would I want to take over when I really need you to take over? 